Welcome to Word of Life Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here, and wherever you're listening from, we believe that God will move to and through you from today's message. If this podcast helps you spiritually, will you consider helping us naturally? You can give online or become a monthly partner as we aim to help more ministries and release more content. You can give online today at thelife.cc. Enjoy today's message. Let's open up our Bibles, if you brought them today, to the book of Luke, and we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. Uh, This is one continuous message Jesus is preaching here in the book of Luke. Um, And I I think it's one that speaks to each one of us, no matter where we're at. And so we're going to do something rare today. We're going to read the whole chapter. Uh, We're going to read the whole chapter of Luke 15 because it is one continuous teaching from Jesus. And then we're going to use that chapter as a platform through which to teach. Luke 15 and verse number 1. Now all the tax collectors and the sinners were coming near to Jesus to listen to him. Let it be so, Lord. How many of you know this is what we want? No matter who you are or where you're at in your life for you to feel like you can come to Jesus. And so you have all of these people whose lives are, are imperfect. Um, many of them, their lives are in the trappings of sin, but they felt comfortable approaching Jesus. And they're here, they're listening to him, verse 2, but there were some very religious people who didn't like this. The Pharisees and the scribes began to grumble, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I, I mark by that, what a savior. Uh, What they meant to be a criticism, I think we as the church can see as a praise. Uh, And so he, he sees this as a teaching moment, so he tells them this parable saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing, and when he comes, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous people who need no repentance. Or what woman, if she has lost ten coins and, or has ten coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, watch this, this is God talking about us. Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin which I lost. In the same way, I tell you, there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered together everything and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself, meaning he went and worked Uh, out at one of the citizens of the country, and he sent him into his fields to feed his swine. Now, this was like the worst job for a young Jewish boy. He sent him into the field to feed the swine, and he gladly, the prodigal would have, filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating. But no matter how hard he was working, no one was giving anything to him. 
But when he came to his senses, and I love that passage, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger? I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned in your sight. Now, I don't have time to teach on this next phrase, but but watch how deep God knows you. For I am no longer worthy. And, you know, just a little side note, what you think you're worthy of is everything. What are you worthy of, and what is that worth based off of? In his mind, I'm not worthy of of anything, and so I'll earn everything, and I'll prove my worthiness. And until I've done enough, I will not receive anything. I'll work for it. And he has this mentality of, of going back to the Father. And But notice in verse number 20, so he got up and he came to his father, but while he was still a long way off. <laughs> How many of you know God will see you even when you're a long way off? His father saw him and watched the heart of your father towards you and felt compassion for him and ran, embraced him, kissed him. And the son said to the father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quickly, bring out the best robe. (laughs) The best robe. And put it on him. A ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and he has been found. And they began to celebrate. Now there was an older son in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he asked one of the servants and began inquiring, What is going on in the house? What are these things? And he said unto him, Your brother has come. Now, notice that your brother has come. That's all he's done. He's come. And your father has killed the fatted calf. He has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to come. He was not willing to go in. He was not willing to move towards the father. So watch what happens. His father moves and comes out towards him. And when he comes out, he begins pleading with him, pleading him for him to do what? To come. But he answered and said unto his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you, and I have never neglected a commandment of yours, and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, and I I love how he changed the narrative, like not my brother, your son. When this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes. Now, notice this, just for the sake of, of, of God knowing humanity. Um, the season of sin, this is plural, not singular. This was not one event. This was a season of life where this son's life got very off. Has devoured your wealth in this season of sin. You've killed the fatted calf for him. And he said unto him, Son, 
you have always been with me, and all that I have is yours. There's so much here I could teach off of, and so I just ask the Holy Spirit to give me the grace to teach on the things that all of us need to hear. Uh, We see someone incredibly frustrated in their walk with their Heavenly Father. Now, when Jesus is telling the parable, remember when a parable is communicated, you want to find God in the story, and you want to find you in the story. And there is people in the story, Jesus knows his audience, who some of them feel like the prodigal, but others of them feel like the other son. And you have a son who is watching uh, God, the Heavenly Father, have a level of spiritual intimacy with someone else. He is being embraced, he is being known, there is warmth, there is celebration, there is dancing, there is laughter, there is rejoicing. The soul of the father has come alive. Uh, Up to this point, there's been something um, in the father's soul that had a moment of angst, just wanting the son to come. And the son has come in his imperfection. But just the sheer act of coming has brought a level of intimacy in his life. He is being embraced. He is being kissed. He is enjoying Uh, seeing the father run. God says, you want to know who I am? I'm a running father. And the other son is watching like other Christians, other people, have this kind of intimacy with the father, and he is noticing that it is incredibly absent from his life. That this level of spiritual intimacy is not something he enjoys, and in fact, it's foreign to him. And for some of you, uh, it may be even foreign to you. In fact, at all of our campuses, I feel it's a little foreign because I would like a greater dimension of spiritual intimacy with the Father, even in our worship. But for so many Christians, it's foreign. It's like to have a moment where God is embracing you. It's almost like now the modern church is afraid of spiritual intimacy. Um, and we see like this is a possible realization that, that God can hold you, that you can feel the affection of God, that your Christian is not just logically known but experimentally felt. And the other son is watching this, and, and it's so confusing to him because what he has been working for, the other son is receiving. And in his mind, this foreign sound of the father having this rejoicing is something he should be experiencing in his life because he has earned it. And he's wondering why he hasn't earned it and hasn't seen it, and so he inquires of the servants. He's like, what is this? It's so foreign to him, he doesn't understand this level of intimacy with the father. Um, all he understands in his walk with God is I keep the rules, I stay in the house, I don't break the boundaries, and out of that I have uh, basically the covering of an orphanage. Needs met, but no intimacy with the Father. And he's discovering in this moment that there is another level with the Heavenly Father that is more than just me knowing the do's and don'ts of his house But there is um, a place in him that I can experience him. And it's foreign to me, and I don't understand it, but I'm hearing it, and I'm seeing it in the lives of others. 
why is this happening? And they come and tell him, your son or your brother who was lost has come home and the father has received him this way. And that makes him even angrier because he's watching people have an experimental Christianity where it's experienced and not just known. And in his eyes, he is superior. He has kept the rules. They don't even know the rules. They know the do's and don'ts, or or he knows the do's and don'ts. They don't even act like they care. And, and, And he's in this moment where he's trying to process of like, why am I not seeing this in my life? There's this level of spiritual intimacy that he is not enjoying, but he's watching someone else enjoy it, and he doesn't compute because the rules aren't being kept by the one who's enjoying it. And so the first thing that you see in his soul is this level of spiritual intimacy that is absent from his life, so absent it's foreign. Uh, But not only do you see this foreign intimacy being discovered by him, it's a language that he doesn't even know how to speak. Um, Not only that, there is a level of open blessing and, and I, I really felt inspired, if you will, to use that term in my studies yesterday when I was going over these notes, open blessing. We know that in the kingdom of God, the greatest blessings are not open blessings, it is the private blessings. It is in your soul, love, joy, and peace. Because I think any of us who have seen a measure of open blessing realize it's not all it's cracked up to be. That you can get the new shiny phone, clothes, purse, watch, car, house, whatever. It it is what it is. But it is in the middle of all those things, old or new stuff, the spiritual undertow of love, joy, and peace. That you, you have a calm delight in you. You have rejoicing and singing and dancing in your soul and in your life. That you are, are free to just be at peace and rest. But while there is that level of spiritual blessing that is being added by the Father in the Son's life in spite of his perfection, there is also open blessing. And you can't distinguish this in reading this parable. It's not just a robe, it's the best robe, which every theologian would say it's the Father's robe because the the, the best robe in the household would have been the Father's. And so the Father is putting his robe on him. And he is killing not just a a cow, but the fatted calf. Uh, He's putting a ring of authority on his hand and sandals on his feet. And it is this open approval of him. And the son, who's watching this from the outside, he's like, I have never had a fatted calf killed for me. And what he's saying is, is the open blessing that is in his life is not in mine. And it doesn't make sense because I have been working for it. I have been trying my hardest to bring this into my life. And now, no matter how hard I try, not only am I not seeing it, but it's coming so easily from the Father's hand into his. What my hand has been trying to produce, the Father's hand is bringing freely and liberally into the life of my brother without him working for it. And the the son is baffled by this. And Jesus is trying to teach us the principles of the kingdom of God. 
There's two things I want you to see today from prayer. Number one, I want you to see how the Father's heart just lights up when it comes to prayer. Um, That in this, you're noticing that the Heavenly Father has an angst in his soul when you are absent from him. Uh, Now, if you're a Christian here today, great news for you. Uh, You are the bride of Christ, and there's heaven in your future. I was talking to somebody the other day. How many of you know it's been hot in Mississippi? If you're you're watching this online, not from here, it has been hot. Now, I felt hot in Mississippi, but like this is a new level of hot. And so I saw my neighbor the other day, and we were talking about how hot it is, because that's just what we do right now. Everyone talks about how hot it is. It's just a thing. Um, And so out of that, I said, yeah, for the Christian, uh, this is the closest to hell we will ever be. Amen. Uh, For someone who's not a Christian, this is as close to heaven as you'll ever be. Um, But um, there is a heaven in our future. We are the bride of Christ. But there, there is so much more. There is so much more. And you have to understand that you were created... Because the Lord desired to be with you. And this is fascinating because the Lord doesn't need anything. God God had everything. He is everything. He doesn't need anything. But he has desires. And anytime you have genuine desire, you know what you have? Longing. Uh, When you desire, for some of us, it's, you know, getting closer to lunch. And like the other day, I walked in the house and they were cooking and just the smell of the, the, the food that they were cooking made me desire the food. And what is that? It's a longing. Like, is it finally time? Like, please just put it on the plate. Because there can be no desire without longing. And where there's longing, there's always a, ma- a measure of soul angst. Of just something in the soul that is, is longing. And, and God has longed for you. And we finally have in the New Testament... Because of Jesus, Uh, the veil of the Holy of Holies has been ripped from the top to the bottom, which made God's presence available to all humanity, that you no longer had to qualify for it through your perfection, that you are now qualified for it through Jesus's perfection. So you can come boldly, Hebrews, to the throne of grace. But in the middle of this, it's amazing how many people don't come. And Jesus taught on this. He's like, there will be a great table that the Father will prepare. That is the salvation table, which is now available to all of us. He's like, he'll make a great feast, and he'll call for people, come to the table. And he said, one and the other will come and make comments of like, can't come. He's like, why can't you come? He's like, just got married. Why can't you come? Just bought land. Why can't you come? I've got oxen. And so the call to be with the Father and to come and to dine at his table, literally free food, it's open blessing waiting. It's spiritual intimacy waiting. It's communion with the Father. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who comes and opens up the door, I will come into his life and I will dine with him. It's not just free food, open blessing. It is spiritual intimacy. And each one, he said, Jesus said, in that parable began to make excuse. And in this parable, what he's teaching in Luke chapter 15, it's like the father can't function like that. 
that, that he's literally at this place that when one sheep goes astray, it's like, well, surely you'd be fine with 99. I mean, you had 100. And you got 100, 100 sheep, 99 are still with you, and one goes astray. Like, you're fine, right? And he's like, no, I'm not. Well, what are you going to do? I'm going to go after the one. What are you going to do when you find them? I'm going to put them on my shoulders. I'm going to act like it's the greatest thing in the world. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to get back. I'm going to ask you to rejoice with me. And they're saying, well, why are you going to act like it's the greatest thing in the world? Because for him, it is. To have you surrendered enough to him, that you're not fighting him, that you allow him to pick you up and put you on his shoulders and carry you, where you're not walking, fighting, and striving anymore, but you're carried by the grace of God, letting yourself be loved by him because you consider yourself worthy to be, not because of your own perfection, but because of what Jesus Christ did for you. Nothing brings his, joy, his soul more joy. Literally, his soul lights up when you come to him. And somebody says, well, you don't understand. Like, I am literally in a season of sin. That was the whole point of the prodigal. Like, it literally went into detail into what his season of sin was. That he had a, not just like an accident, um, not just like a bad week. He had a season of sin. And the only reason why he's coming home is he ran out of money. But yet him coming into the father's house, him drawing near to the father was enough for the father to move to him and act like it was the greatest thing in the world. And what the father wants is not your perfection. He wants your surrender to come to him in prayer. And when you come to him in prayer, it's not just like, ah, I'm going to get an open blessing and God is going to fix my need. It's no, when you come to him in prayer, the first thing that it does is it positions you in a place to bring God more pleasure than anything else you could do for him. Because you could keep all the rules in the house and still not have intimacy with him. If you do not draw near to him in prayer, you can forgive, you can, you know, move and go on mission trips, you can do all all of these things for him, but if you don't draw near to him, if you don't draw near to him in prayer and draw near to him in fellowship, and somebody says, well, Pastor Joel, like, I just, I don't even know what to do. Neither did the prodigal. I love in the other parable Jesus talked about, about the feast, when all the other people who could come but were so busy He's like, go find the people who feel like they can't come, the lame, the halt, and the wounded. Go and compel them to come, even pick them up and bring them to me. And he came and brought them, and then the the servant said to, to the Lord, Father, there's still room. Because we, we live in this world where we think like everybody is praying. And like everybody is having this level of intimacy and and what each parable teaches us is like it's not near as common as you think. In fact, it's, it's pretty rare. And so he says, even if you feel like you're halt and wounded and maimed like Melchizedek in the Old Testament, it's like I want you at my table but I don't have everything together. I want you at my table, but I'm not worthy of you. I want you at my table. Well, my, my sin is like, I don't even want to let people know about it or you to talk about it. I want you at my table. He grabbed him, kissed him, embraced him. 
put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Why? Because he came. And, and this level of, of intimacy with the Father, it lights up the Father's joy. Uh, you can imagine, once again, using the, the Bride of Christ analogy, uh, that how many of you are married at all of our campuses? Raise your hand if you're married. Oh, we got, we got a lot of married people here at Lakeland. I'm looking at the screens. I can see you too at all the other campuses down here. A lot of other married people there. So uh, how many of you would like to be married? Anybody? Come on. Oh, no. Okay. So maybe we could have a love connection today. Who knows? Who knows? It's like, I have been looking for you like the, the father's been looking for the prodigal. Um... Could be your day. <laughs> Rejoice with me. So for those of us who are married, and even if you're not, I think you can get this analogy. Like we are the bride of Christ. And can you imagine being married to someone who lived with you in perfection? I mean, like genuinely, they lived with you in perfection, but never acknowledged you. Cooked the perfect meal for you but they never look at you. Never look at you. Never talk to you. Never say thank you. That you're right there, but they never see you. And the reason why they never see you is they're never looking for you. And so the house is clean and the clothes are put up but there's no acknowledgement. I can remember when my, my wife um, called me back for the first time. I was so nervous that sh- she would not want to go on a second date with me because the first date was so rough. Long story. So I called her when she was, she was in college. So I called her in class and left a voicemail. And I never will forget when she called me back. And the thrill that that acknowledgement brought me. And prayer is this act where we are coming and we are seeing something go on in our lives. And it's just, thank you. I don't know what to say. Thank you's enough. But I don't know how to do it right. Thank you's good. And, well, I'm just scared. And I don't know what to do. Tell the Lord you're scared. But like, I, shouldn't I say, no, just tell the Lord you're scared. Tell the, tell the Father, I'm, I, I've got, my mind is so anxious about A, B, and C. And I, I need your guidance. And, and out of that, it's not just him fixing the need with open blessing. It's the spiritual intimacy that lights up his soul. It's like, I found my coin. And the neighbors are like, we don't care. And he's like, but no, seriously, I've really been looking for it. They're like, okay, you had nine others. I know, but this one I couldn't find. This one wasn't with me. And now they are. So like, come rejoice with me. Like, yes, he'll move and open blessing. But, but more it is, they are with me. And the first thing that prayer does is it meets this, this heart desire in our Father because he is not the manager of an orphanage. He is a father of a family. And a manager of an orphanage will make sure that the orphans have covering and shelter, 
but there will be no sharing of life. There will be no intimacy. And God invites us to intimacy. He does not want you working in the house, keeping all the rules without knowing him. And so prayer is us drawing near to him to know him. It is like Enoch walking with him. It is like David singing unto him. It is like Paul casting all of your cares upon him. And it is in this you begin to have not just a Christianity that is logically thought and known with rules and regulations, but an experimental Christianity where you are are experiencing him. But the second thing that it does is it, it paves the way for you to see open blessing. It paves the way for you to see the wonderful goodness of God. And your posture of prayer, whether or not you're praying or not or pursuing it, tells me immediately three things about you. The first thing it shows me about you is, number one, your desire for him. Your posture of prayer or lack thereof shows me your desire for him. That when in prayer, it is like Paul said, to whom coming? He is my lively stone. To him coming, I'm building my my life upon him. And prayer shows me how much I desire him. The second thing that prayer does is it shows me my level of humility. Um, A prayerless life is a prideful life. When you don't pray, what you're saying to yourself, to God, and to everyone else is, I can handle this without you. And so, so for so many of our lives, we have things we want to see on our table. We want this fixed in our kids. We want this fixed in our marriage. We want this fixed in our church. We want this fixed in our nation. So we talk about it, and we plan, and we strategize, and we figure it out, and we work harder. And we even come to church of like, what must I do? Show me the rules. And all the while, God is, is saying, like, a prayerless life is a prideful life, and if you will just come and humble yourself, you will see the results of not just your hand, but you will see the results of mine. Because those things that you're worrying about, I want you praying about. And those things that you're talking about, I want you praying about. And those things that you're sharing with them, I want you to share them with me. Because they can talk to you about it, I can fix it. I can change it. When you give me those things, it enables me to show you my hand. I I mentioned this at the start of the year. I'll close with this. Um, But I was praying with the staff. And I have not been as, as responsible as I should be to communicate these things to you. Um, but I was praying with the staff, and I had a vision. And it was one of those things um, that just happened. And I saw a car, and I was behind the wheel. And I could tell, I'm not a car guy, but I could tell this car was a car. Um, it had a lot of power in it. I could, you know, sense the engine. And because I knew the car had all of this power, all this torque, all this speed that it could go, I was very frustrated with it because I had the pedal down to the metal. And I'm pressing, like, everything in me, go faster! And I'm, I, I see my knuckles are white because they're gripping the steering wheel so, so strongly. Like, I'm asking so much of the car I'm asking so much of myself, 
but I'm not getting thing, um, anything more out of the car. The car was symbolic of life. The driver was symbolic of us. And it's like, I, want, I know life has more in it. I know it can go farther. I know it can go faster. I'm giving it everything I have. And I see my hand just finally like get pulled off of the steering wheel and over onto the shifter as a stick shift. And I was in first gear. And in the vision, I just saw one word, shift. Shift. And I took it from first to second gear. And as soon as I went up one gear, everything just lurched forward. And not near as much effort on my part was having to be put in. And the fullness of what the engine could do kicked up to another level. And the Lord said, it's time to shift, to move from the natural to the supernatural. You have seen what you can do through your own hand. You can see what you have do through your own effort. But when you pray, number three, you understand how the kingdom works. You understand that I move in the lives of those people who draw near to me. I move in the lives of the people who come to me. That you could do all the rules. You could keep all the things. But through doing that, the best you will ever see is what your hand could do. But when you pull aside from just your own efforts and you cease from his works and you come and you draw near to him in prayer, you see the very things you've been working for be added unto you. You see the very thing that you are fighting to bring into your life be laid beside you, not by your hand, but by the hand of your heavenly Father. I wrote that in my prayer journal, shift. That's been my word for this year. And beside it, I I wrote this passage in Jeremiah. They'll put it up on the screens. Um, Book of Jeremiah, chapter 17 and verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength. What is this? There's a problem. Who am I going to look to? Me. There's an issue. What are we going to do? I'm going to fix it. I look to mankind. I look to physical strength. And God says, that's curse. What is the curse? The curse is the most you'll ever see is what you can do. And makes flesh his strength and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Keeps going. For he will be like a bush in the desert and he will not see when prosperity comes, but will live in stony waste in the wilderness, a land without inhabitation. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by streams and will not fear when the heat comes. Notice the heat will come. But I'm not afraid of it. Why? I know I have a father. I know I have someone who is with me. I know I have someone who is for me. My trust is not in my hand. My trust is in his. I will not fear when heat comes, but leaves will be green in every season. And will not be anxious in a year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. 
This is the life of God. This is the life of prayer, that our, our dependency is not in self. I'm not an orphan with a manager. I'm a son and I'm a daughter of a father. And what Jesus wants is for you and I to come to him like a little child, fully surrendered, vulnerable, and in his hand. And when we do live a life of prayer, we will see spiritual intimacy, but we will also see open blessing. Amen. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you for each and every person at all of our campuses. And Father, I thank you in the name of Jesus that we truly walk with you and talk with you. That prayer will not just be something that we do and just throw on at uh, the end of something before we eat. And it'll not just be something where we just say a blessing, but it will be something that we're engaged in more often, that it will be real, that it will be authentic, that it will be us. But Father, we say, here we are, like we we come, and some of us come with more training than others, and some of us come with um, a different level of refinement than others, but Father, one thing we see is no matter who we are or what we've done, we can all come to you. And so Father, even when we worship next, let it be more than just a song, let it be a prayer. Let it be a moment where we draw near to you and we sense your spirit and we sense your your affection and we sense your love and that your power begins to move on us and all around us. We love you, Father, and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.